Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Right now, let's get the thoughts of the director of the Institute of Physical Studies, Paul Johnson, pouring over not just what was said in the uh, uh, in the actual announcements by Rishi Sunak at the Smashbox, but also what's in the small print in the Red Book as well. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning to you. Oh, can he hear me, Paul Johnson? I, I, I can hear you. You can, can hear, hear me. You. Great, we can yes. hear you. That this this will work much better for an interview, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, Rishi Sunak, very first budget. He's only been in the job for a matter of weeks. Um, we did effectively have two budgets, didn't we? Let, let's take them in different parts if we can. The thirty billion pounds, uh, the budget, biggest budget giveaway since nineteen ninety two. We're told um, in terms of tackling coronavirus, um, those measures. Do you think those are those are enough to stave off a recession if we are hard hit by coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, there was really 12 billion, not 30, for the um, for coronavirus. There's an, another 18, which was in from the spending review from last year. Um, look, the, the the package was a pretty sensible one. I think it, ra- it it did the sorts of things that people were asking for. It was, as the Chancellor said, timely, targeted, and temporary. It's partly there to support individuals um, who are having, uh, who, through things like statutory sick pay, um, significantly there to support um, businesses. Only time will tell whether it's big enough, but overall, add that 12 billion to the 18 billion, and it's a pretty substantial loosening, which ought to support growth um, over this year. The big, the really big question is, will it be enough to stop a long-term scarring effect on the economy from the uh, from the coronavirus? Because that's what he, that's what the Chancellor really wants. What he really wants is, well, look, there's not much we can do if, um, you know, lots of people are off sick over the next six months, but can we do enough to make sure that doesn't have a long-lasting effect on the economy? Well, this is, again, the predictions from the Office of Budget Responsibility, um, are they they were for 1.1% growth issues. That was bef- that's very low growth level. And that was before we had the coronavirus pandemic. Um, so lots of fears now we are going to go into recession. We're seeing £100 billion more borrowing than was planned. Um, th- there are a lot of people arguing that this is exactly what the Labour Party, Liberal Democrats and others have been calling for all these years, all these years of austerity, that it was a political choice, it wasn't the right choice, uh, and that we could have been spending all this time. What do you say to that? Well, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of things wrapped up in um, in that. Yes, there is a lot more um, borrowing over the next few years following this budget. So rather than um, borrowing of about 30 billion a year, which was uh, planned last year, it's going to be pretty much double that. So so we're pretty much doubling borrowing over the next few years relative to plans and way above what um, you know, George Osborne was planning uh, three or four 
years ago. Um, the second thing that's worth saying is that you know, this is nevertheless nothing like uh, what was in the in, in the Labour manifesto. I mean, they were talking about vastly higher levels of um, spending uh, and borrowing. So, I mean, there, there is still lots of clear red or blue water, depending on how you want to look at it, between, um, between Labour and Conservatives in terms of what was in the Labour manifesto. Um, well, I mean, the, the Chancellor is right that um, borrowing costs have continued to come down uh, <coughs> and the overall um, deficit is much lower than it was. But um, I think there is uh, quite a bit of, um, it, it's pretty fair to say uh, that if we can do this now, certainly uh, in retrospect, um, it looks like some of the scales of the, the, the cuts earlier on uh, were overdone. Uh, now, um, some of the specific uh, measures, I mean, there were specific measures which have been promised in the budget, sorry, in the, in the manifesto, sorry, last December, uh, things like national insurance thresholds and like, which will actually make a real difference to people, £100 extra a year uh, will make a difference for a lot of people. But there's also been quite a lot of help for people at the top end of earners, in, in particular, the, the pension tax. Uh, and this is very much linked to tackling the NHS. Could you just explain how that works? Yeah, I mean, the um, at, at the moment, um, most people have are allowed to put £40,000 a year into a pension tax-free. Now, that doesn't constrain uh, many people, but if, you're, <laughs> uh, but if you're lucky enough to have an incredibly generous pension scheme, as doctors in the NHS do and some other public sector workers do, uh, then it is possible uh, that as your income uh, trips over £110,000, then you quickly lose all of that pension relief and it can make you a uh, somewhat worse off from working a bit more um, in the short run. Now, that's partly a problem of the tax system. It's partly a problem of a um, very uh, uh, inflexible and generous um, scheme that that, that, the, uh, that they have in the NHS and elsewhere. And it's worth saying that, the, I mean, actually, the tax treatment of those sorts of schemes is way more generous than the tax treatment of the schemes most of us have, where we actually put money into our own pot. So this is, uh, th this is something which tries to get over that that the change something tries to get over that problem by uh, moving up above two hundred thousand pound to two hundred thousand pounds, the point at which anyone can start to lose uh, that uh, tax relief um, yeah. that they have. So this is going to affect far fewer people and only those on on much higher earnings. Yes, so but if you the, key, are, the key thing is is getting NHS consultants making it worthwhile for them to do those extra hours and carry on working. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's why it was done. I mean, it will obviously affect a lot more people and there will be a lot of people now earning 100, 150, 180,000 pounds who will be thinking, thank goodness, I can actually put a bit more money into my pension scheme. Um, you know, that's, uh, that, that is a giveaway to some people on some pretty high earnings. Um, there's a takeaway from people on even higher earnings. So if you're earning um, in the high 200,000, uh, then you can put less into a pension than you could. Okay, and uh, let's also talk about some of the sort of the, the, the I suppose, if it wasn't for the, the measures on coronavirus would be the sort of headlines you would see in a lot of the tabloids. The tampon, ta tampon tax, the VAT on minimum sanitary products abolished from next January, uh, reading tax, VAT on all electronic publications, uh, including newspapers, uh, e-books and, and the like. Uh, also, duties on spirits, beer, cider and wine, all frozen. Fuel duty frozen again for the 10th consecutive year. Um, these are all very sort of popular moves to different, gr different groups of people, some popular with everybody. But there is always a cost, though, isn't there? Yeah, I mean the costs of most of the things you mentioned there are pretty small. The one that um, the, the one that start the, the one that is really expensive is the continued freeze on uh, pe fuel duty, petrol and, uh, and, and diesel duty. That's already costing us 
um, six billion a year uh, and more as a result of a 10-year freeze. So a freeze means it's cut uh, in real terms year after year, and it costs the government six billion pounds. It means that us, uh, that the drivers, are six billion pounds a year better off um, um, between us as a result of that. Um, one does sort of think now, given what's happening to oil and petrol prices at the moment, if you can't even maintain that real value this year, you have to think it's never going to um, go up again. So a government which says uh, that it's um, it's green and that it's trying to do stuff about um, climate change, which can't even maintain real values of um, uh, of petrol duty. I mean, there's clearly a there's clearly a, a trade off there between yes. uh, what it wants to do on the green side and what it wants to do in terms of being nice to motorists. Uh, well, as as we knew there would eventually be, and I, I, as, as a motorist, I'm rather pleased they made the decision. Just finally, in summary, Paul Johnson, looking at a whole package of measures announced overall and everything that's in the in the small print as well, is this a budget? that you think overall what we know now will actually help boost the economy, help, well, help the economy not move into recession? Or do you think this is going to be a budget that's going to come back to haunt not just Rishi Sunak but also Boris Johnson? Well, I think uh, you know, in the short run, they've clearly done a set of things which will help uh, the economy in the face of the coronavirus. Um, whether it will be enough, um, I, you know, I, don't think, I honestly don't think anybody knows. Um, Chancellor has said he will come back with more if... Uh, if necessary. Um, over the next two or three years, the big boost in investment spending um, looks like it will support the economy, but that will peter out fairly quickly. If you look at what the Office of Budget Responsibility has said, it's saying, look, we think this budget will raise growth in the short run, but actually as it peters out, it will actually uh, reduce growth um, in the slightly longer run. OK, thank you very much for your analysis. Very much appreciate that. Paul Johnson, Director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Right, delighted to be joined by the Chancellor right now. Good morning to you, Chancellor. Good morning, good, Julia. Good morning. Well, you've got a lot of very favourable headlines today. A lot of talk about huge sums of money being spent to try and tackle the possible recession from the uh, coronavirus uh, outbreak. Uh, the Times front page, Sunak's road to riches. A lot of people, though, are going to be asking, after 10 years of austerity, where's all this money coming from? If you've had all this money all this time, why weren't you spending it over the last 10 years under previous chancellors? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to note it's because of that responsible economic management over the past several years that our economy and public finances are in such a strong position today that I can stand here and say that we will do what it takes to help us get through the challenges of coronavirus. And that's why yesterday I outlined what I think is a bold and comprehensive package of measures to do just that. But in, in the medium term, it's absolutely right to manage the nation's finances responsibly. That's what that uh, yesterday's budget does. I delivered it within the fiscal rules that we set out in our manifesto that ensure that debt is falling over the parliament. Um, I think that's the right thing to do for the economy at this time. But of course, to respond in scale to the immediate challenges that we face. Well, you say that we're in a very strong position. Undoubtedly, we've got some very good economic indicators, things like a very low unemployment and the like. But even the Office for Budget Responsibility was only predicting 1.1% economic growth this year. That's incredibly low growth levels. Suppose we're having this big Brexit <laughs> bounce, weren't we? And that was before uh, we had the coronavirus uh, a a pandemic. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be expecting an awful lot less than that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Our growth figures are not as high as I would like them to be. And that's why we've outlined an ambitious 
program of investment in infrastructure. It was a signature part of the budget yesterday to invest in things like road, rail, broadband. All of that is designed to raise our long-term productivity and growth. And indeed, the Office for Budget Responsibility estimated, I think for the first ever time, that if that had continued on a sustained basis, it would indeed do exactly that, raise our long-term productivity. Uh, that, I think, is the right economic plan for the UK at this moment. OK, oh, well, I mean, they're talking about it being the biggest giveaway since Norman Lamont's uh, pre-election budget of 1992. And you know there'll be a lot of Tory MPs on the back benches cheering you yesterday in the chamber, but quite concerned about going back to sort of boosting the deficit, boosting uh, public borrowing, when they thought that uh, we were moving towards cuttings sort of big government? Well, so we're not, and the projections that we have, we're not borrowing for day-to-day spending. That's what we promised in our manifesto. We, we are taking advantage of low long-term interest rates to invest in infrastructure. Again, I think that's the right thing to do because it will raise living standards, create jobs, raise wages over the long term. Um, but we do always need to have responsible management of the economic finances. I completely agree about that. That's what the projections do. Um, but it, at the same time, it does allow us to invest in public services. That was a message loud and clear in the election. We said that the NHS was our priority, not just in the short term with giving them everything they need for coronavirus, but also in the medium term. I announced £6 billion of extra money for the NHS, so 50,000 more nurses, 50 million more GP surgery appointments. You know, those, those are significant investments in public services that people rely on, care very deeply about, and I want them to know that we share their um, we share that with them that that's a priority for us. Well, did you, I mean, there were lots of measures you announced in the first few moments which would have been very welcome uh, to an awful lot of people, particularly the help to small businesses uh, facing, I mean, no footfall in the high streets, the tourism industry, pubs and the like, uh, but also individual workers. I mean, I've been talking to your colleague, uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary of the last few weeks, uh, and talking about statutory sick pay and seemed to be a lot <laughs> of concern about people getting it a bit earlier who were entitled to it. Of course, ignoring yeah. until yesterday the final million people who had no entitlement to it at all, even if they're not ill at all, being asked to perhaps stay home, self-isolate, and perhaps not being able to pay their rent or their mortgage. Well, that, that's why we took some very significant steps yesterday to address those concerns. You know, we've, we've already said that statutory sick pay will be eligible now from day one rather than day four. Uh, what we also said yesterday, what I said was that if you're self-isolating, it will also now cover you. And for those that are self-employed and therefore reliant on our benefit system, we've strengthened and improved how that operates. So, for example, people accessing employment support allowance will now be able to get that from day one rather than day eight as currently. For those accessing universal credit, we've removed something called the minimum income floor, which means the time that they're not at work or not working, it, it doesn't impact their benefit entitlement. And I also... Uh, provided a half a billion pound hardship fund for local authorities to target support on people who in particular needed it. And taken together, that those were a, a billion pound uh, boost for our welfare system to help vulnerable people, those impacted by this, to get through through the next few weeks and months. Uh, there is still some concern, though, that uh, the economy is not going to be able to bounce back very quickly. We know that the Office for Budget Responsibility uh, is, is rather wary about predicting you know, how well we're going to cope. Certainly the Institute of Fiscal Studies, we spoke to uh, Paul Johnson a little bit earlier in the hour uh, about that as well. Uh, given that we've now got new developments overnight, we've got Donald Trump announcing uh, a 30-day uh, suspension on all uh, travellers from 26 European uh, Union nations, uh, those in the Schengen area. Now, it doesn't include Ireland, for instance, 
And of course, we are outside of that. It doesn't include the UK. But of course, it may well be a matter of time before that does happen. At one point, it appeared he'd said that even our exports, uh, you know, cargo would be affected. And he rode back on that, uh, thankful. The White House rode back on that, uh, thankfully. But if we do see a massive slowdown in international travel and international uh, demand and, uh, and supply of goods, uh, there is no doubt at all this is going to hit the economy hard. Have we got anything left in the coffers uh, to help us through that uh, once we do get through the immediate uh, shock of a coronavirus? Well, uh, we, you know, we, you're right. This will have a significant impact on our economy. But our belief is that it will be temporary. That's the nature of the epidemiology of this virus, that it, it does pass through. And what my job is to make sure that this temporary hit to our economy doesn't become permanent. And that's why the interventions yesterday were in particular targeted at protecting people's jobs by supporting small and medium-sized businesses to help them through what will be a challenging few months. So we've, that's why we cut their taxes, provided cash grants, allowed them to defer tax payments, gave them access to um, very attractive loans, all of which means that they can hopefully get through what will be a difficult period safeguard the job so that when we emerge on the other side and the virus has gone through, we can get back to normal as quickly as possible. But look, as the situation evolves, if we need to do more, I, of course, stand ready to respond. OK, well, you did say yesterday, whatever this was, millions or billions, the money was going to be there uh, for the NHS. Now, many on the Labour benches in the House of Commons are a little bit confused that you appear now to be Keynesian uh, uh, in your in your thinking. Uh, they've said uh, after the last election, they, they lost the election, but they won the argument for greater spending. Um, is it true they did win the argument? Uh, well, look, I, <laughs> I mean, I think the election result is pretty clear. So, uh, you know, what, what we promised in that election to, you know, invest in public services, we promised to level up across this country by investing in infrastructure to spread opportunity. And this budget yesterday was about delivering our promises. You know, okay. I want to, as, I, as you heard me say repeatedly yesterday, this is a government that delivers its promises and it gets things done. And all the things that we said we would do we systematically yesterday in our budget went through them and we got them done. We want to spread opportunity around this country. We want to make sure that wherever you live, whether you're in the rural southwest or a town in the northeast, that you have access to fantastic education. The infrastructure around your community works for you. It's a safe community, the public services that you can count on. And that because of the decisions we're making, there's more economic growth improving your living standards. That's um what this budget they did. And when are we going to get a bit more detail on I mean, hundreds of billions of pounds on infrastructure spending? A lot of that previously announced under a Theresa May's premiership, but, but we haven't got much detail other than we know HS2 is going, to, going ahead and, and the road, uh, the bypass around Stonehenge. We haven't seen much detail from the government on where that money is going to be spent. Well, yesterday I actually outlined um, not just the overall spending, which is £640 billion over this parliament, uh, but I did, I did highlight a range of specific things that are, that are happening. I'm in Leeds today where there are significant investments. We said we're going to build a new train line between Manchester and Leeds as part of Northern Powerhouse Rail. We said we're going to do for large cities around the country the same kind of transport deal that London enjoys. We're going to roll out a gigabit-capable broadband to, the, to every part of this country uh, over the next few years. We've got a new mobile phone network, uh, which is going to mean that 95% of the country is covered by a 4G signal now by the end of this parliament. And, and we've doubled the investment in flood defences and, and I announced, uh, you know, gotten dozens and dozens of specific schemes yesterday with, with tons more to come. Um, but look, the message from all of this is we are 
it, we are enormously committed to this agenda. So whether it's road, whether it's rail, whether it's digital broadband, flood defences, you know, we will build it. And we will build it in every part of our country. And we're going to do that because it's going to improve people's opportunities. Okay. And, and that's what you will consistently see from this government. Just finally, you upset some people who like Yorkshire tea when you put a, a tweet out of you making a cup of cups of tea for the uh, the team at the Treasury. And then you did an interview at the weekend talking about how you've been buoyed in all your work uh, by trips to, well, deliveries of Nando's and packets of Skittles. Are there any more major brands you're planning to upset in the coming weeks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, stop, yes, I'll stop, stop mentioning any, any brand. A company's yeah. writing to you <laughs> saying, for goodness sake, please don't tweet about us. Well, actually, well, I've had lots of, lots of fun. Uh, we've had lots of fun tea things since then. But yeah, we've had a lot of late nights in the office over the past few weeks, fueled by all sorts of good, uh, good late night food. But uh, yeah, but I, look, the, the main thing is that I think the serious point underlying that, whether it's the health secretary, whether it's me, whether it's the rest of government, you know, we are working around the clock to protect people's health and their economic security. You know, this, this is going to be a challenging few weeks and months for this country, but we will get through it together. We will rise to this challenge and we will do whatever it takes you know, to keep this country safe, healthy and economically secure. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Well, let's talk to someone who's been very critical of government policy uh, so far uh, on uh, containing the virus. Rory Stewart, he's former International Development Secretary for the Conservatives, obviously stood, of course, as a Conservative leadership candidate and is now independent candidate for Mayor of London. Good morning to you, Rory. Good morning. To um, you. You've been critical uh, as somebody uh, who's critical that the idea that we're not actually following the science and not following best practice and not learning from what has happened in other countries who have uh, suffered major outbreaks, obviously, of course, starting with China, but South Korea, Japan, and also more cl- closer to home, Italy. What do you think the government isn't doing that it should be doing? Well, we're being far too slow. In an epidemic like this, you should be moving immediately with no regrets. The earlier you shut schools, the earlier you stop gathering, the better. Because, as as of course is is common sense, the more people meet with each other, the more likely they are to pass on the disease. And somebody who is working from home or is self-isolating is not going to be coming into contact in the same way with people who have the disease. And actually, countries that have done this really quickly have achieved very remarkable things. South Korea has actually very dramatically brought down the number of new cases in about 10 days by doing this. But if you start too late, it's out of control. It spreads like wildfire and it then becomes almost impossible to contain. Uh, we, we know, obviously, Italy tried to bring in some uh, some measures earlier on, for instance, banning flights from China and the like, and it would appear the biggest issue that's happened in Italy is that they actually had the virus for some two or three weeks before they realised it, uh, and it was basically infecting everyone across the northern region of the country. Uh, the, the Southeast Asian countries that have acted really quickly, um, they, they did act very quickly, but again, they were able to act during the containment phase. Was there not, were there not a few weeks lost where actually, if we hadn't just isolated the country, almost immediately closed down the airports uh, early in January, that actually once that point is, 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 is passed, then you're past containment, in which case you can't just sort of isolate everybody when there's only sort of two people who've died of a disease. Well, there is a lot of academic disagreement about this, but the World Health Organization argues, and I absolutely agree with them, that you act as fast and as hard as you can you never are quite going to know whether you're going to be able to do it, but you throw the kitchen sink at it. You try as hard as you can. Because many people felt that China, it was already too late. They had got up to nearly 80,000 cases. But by taking very radical action, they were able to reduce it when all the academics thought they couldn't do it. In Britain at the moment, we believe we're still at a few hundred cases. So if China managed to start bringing the absolute numbers down when they were moving up towards 80,000, we can do it in Britain. It's just a question of willpower. What about those who say, look, the government is following the scientific advice? And Boris Johnson said yesterday that, uh, you know, there are lots of things you can do which sort of look big ticket items. You know, what Donald Trump has announced uh, overnight, uh, uh, limiting those flights in uh, from those 26 uh, Schengen area European states. What what, uh, it is done, you know, in terms uh, of cancelling football matches. You can do things that look very big, but actually, as we've heard from the chief scientific officer and the chief medical officer in the last week, don't actually have any real bearing on the number of cases cases you end up getting. That is true for some things, but we are being much too academic about this. There is a huge disagreement, which we're not being honest about. We're pretending that all the scientists agree. What's actually happening is the British government is following a very particular narrow academic model, and other countries are taking a completely different approach. Denmark, for example, has closed its schools. I don't think that's because Danish scientists are somehow less qualified than British scientists. 
It's because all the evidence from previous epidemics elsewhere in the world are the earlier that you move, the more likely you are to be able to get a grip on this disease. And I'm worried that the approach that we're taking is actually slightly more worrying than that. It feels as though the government is saying that they don't believe it's actually even possible to reduce the number of cases. They're beginning to talk about delay in terms of simply slowing the increase. And that is an extraordinary thing to do when countries like China, South Korea, Taiwan are showing that it is actually possible to reduce the number of daily deaths. But isn't that because they they were able to act when it was clear that it was going to be going to those countries, so, so especially they're so close to China, that they were able to contain? And again, the, the, the quarantining of, say, of, Wu, of Wuhan uh, and in the whole Hubei pres- uh, you know, province and, and those cities are partly able to co- go, take place because of, uh, you know, it's a totalitarian police state much easier to do it there than, say, in Italy, uh, but also because it was contained geographically. But it isn't contained geographically in this country. Once we've had that spread, we've had um, spread within the country. It's not just come from overseas, people who've just, you know, just come back in from Wuhan um, or from or from you know, Italian uh, skiing holidays. Once it's not it's... contained uh, geographically, then, then the quarantining is only capable, surely, of, of delaying rather than preventing. We are actually at the moment at exactly the same point that China was when it introduced the radical measures in terms of case numbers. By the time China introduced its measures, 5 million people had already left Wuhan. So these academic experts that are driving it in Britain said that it was too late in China to act. And the Chinese proved them wrong. It isn't too late yet. We should have acted two weeks ago. We should have acted a week ago. But if we act today, we can still get on top of this. Um, what about, I mean, in terms of the closing the schools, though, we need key workers to be at work. We already know that in many of the countries that have been hard affected, it's actually you know something like 15% of those affected are actually uh, key workers in the health service. We need key workers in the health service and police next to be able to go to work. How are they going to do that if their kids are off school? Right. If we allow this to get out of control the number of cases can double every three to six days. And because of the mathematics of that, that means that you can get from the current number of cases that we know about at the moment to about 128,000 cases within a month. That means that all the benefits that you might get from having more nurses around are completely overwhelmed by the number of cases that begin hitting your system. So every country has the same balance, but most other countries have decided that the correct way to do it is to close the schools, except that that means that very sadly it imposes pressures on families and, of course, pressures on the health system. But the benefits you get out of that is that you have a chance of reducing the number of daily cases. Okay. But we're going to have to do that now if we don't do it now. And this is a, one of the um, things, Julia, I think, which is a cultural problem in Britain, is that we're very, very uh, proud of our keep calm and carry on and don't panic. That's fine, but as somebody who, I I was the minister who was involved in in leading the UK part of the Ebola response, so I was in Eastern Congo with people with Ebola. I've worked in Iraq and in Afghanistan, and in emergency situations, it's true actually in flooding responses too, that the answer isn't to get into a conversation about whether or not to panic. The answer is to get on and do things and communicate effectively. Okay. Sometimes saying don't panic 
actually simply means that you're denying the truth. You're hoping that everything's going to be all right. Just one final it's question. It's going to be all right unless we do stuff now. Just one final question. There are those who say, look, why are we making such a big deal of this? Yes, it's more dangerous than flu. It's more contagious than flu. But we are still talking about uh, one or two percent uh, uh, death rates in, in Western countries. Uh, it's the elderly, it's vulnerable people who, and again, I'm not saying this, but some people I've seen are saying this, uh, you know, oh, it's elderly people, underlying health conditions. They were going to die in a, uh, in a, in a, a couple of years anyway why are we shutting down our entire economy shutting down our entire lives uh, for for what is a bad flu outbreak some people are saying what would you say to those people so that that's a very good challenge Julia, and that's basically what some academic scientists and modelers are saying but what they're forgetting of course is is a couple of things one is that those people are my mother who's 83 and many many other people's mothers yeah but secondly that one or two percent if this gets into your whole population, is a unbelievably large number of people. And that's one or 2% who might be dying, even if it was half a percent of people who are dying, those people are dying. And probably 10 times the number are gonna to have to go into hospital with very, very serious illnesses. And by doing so, they will be displacing many other patients that need to be in the hospital system. So the numbers that you're talking about, let's say it got into most of the British population, let's say 50 million people got it, let's say only in inverted commas 10% needed to go to hospital. That's 5 million people. Imagine it was only 1% who died. You're talking about 500,000 people dying, 5 million people going to hospital. This is something on a scale so far beyond any type of flu that yeah. uh, saying this is like a flu is, is giving people a very strange impression of things. Okay. Yeah. Rory Stewart, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate you talking to us. Uh, former International Development Secretary, of course, and an independent candidate for Mayor of London. Be very critical of the government's response uh, to coronavirus. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.